In the name of the Father and the Son and God's Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Every year, right about this time, as one year is coming to an end and another is rolling in, I love to spend some time just looking back and remembering what has happened. Sort of the history buff in me. I confess to being a real sucker for those end year in review television shows, as well as all of the magazine articles that not only rehearse last year, but also that look ahead to next year's events and trends. This year, as I have started through that annual ritual, I have been literally stunned by what seems to be an unparalleled time of upheaval and change. I mean, just think about it. Not one, but at least two waves of COVID, a volatile presidential election, a president who to this day refuses to concede, any number of wildfires out west, hurricanes so numerous that we have entered the Greek alphabet in order to name them, all kinds of travel plans and holiday gatherings disrupted. I think of the changes just in my life, a new grandchild, Kathy and myself getting ready for retirement. I look at uh, all that has happened in our congregation uh, over the last few months. We have learned how to live stream and Zoom, and there have been self-studies, and the PNC has called a, a new pastor. Um, all of this happening in a short period of time. My, my point is that we are living in a time of incredible upheaval and change. Susan Beaumont, our church consultant from about a year ago now, reminds us uh, that this is called a liminal state. And so it raises the question, what kind of qualities do we need in order to live into this particular kind of time? That's why I found today's scripture readings that Dennis has brought to us um, to be so relevant. Because in Matthew's gospel, we have an image of a kind of person who it seems really did adequately cope with the high winds of change in his life. So this morning, let's focus on Joseph, the husband of Mary, this man who was called on to play such an important role in the Christmas drama. Try this. Outside of this passage, we know next to nothing about him. We know that he was of the lineage of David, a carpenter by trade. We know somehow he came to live in this little Galilean town of Nazareth. And while he was there, apparently, he entered into an agreement with Mary's father that she should become his wife. He probably had every expectation that he would live out the rest of his days like any other Palestinian at that point in history. Then all of a sudden, his world was turned upside down. The kind of upheaval and change that Joseph experienced may in fact be a metaphor for what we are experiencing in our lives, our personal lives and our collective life. And in the midst of all that, I see two qualities emerging in Joseph 
that are worth trying on for size. First of all, I see him able to perceive the realities around him using all of his truth faculties. And secondly, I see him being willing to improvise resourcefully in the face of the unexpected. So let's just remember what happened to Joseph. Life was going on in a quite conventional way until that day where the angel Gabriel came to Mary before they were married and said, God's favor is upon you. God wants you to become the mother of Messiah. The angel said, the same spirit that at the beginning of time hovered over the formless deep will now hover over your empty womb and will once again call forth something out of nothing. The implications for this young woman were absolutely incredible. She is asked to risk her reputation, um, every relationship that she has, in fact, her own body. In other words, being favored by God doesn't mean that we are going to be exempt from hardship. It may mean that we are being invited to do something important that is also very costly. Now, you know as well as I do that in the face of all that, Mary responded magnific magnificently. Let it be to me as you have spoken, she said. Well, of course, the moment came when she had to share that news with her fiancé, Joseph. And of course, at first, he didn't believe her. Let's not be harsh with Joseph. I doubt any of us would accept such an outlandish account either. And so he was prepared to dismiss her quietly, dissolve the engagement, let her go her way, he would go his. When the same angel who had come to Mary and completely disrupted her world now came to Joseph in a dream and said, this outlandish story is in fact true. The life in Mary's womb is the work of God, not of some human unfaithfulness. Now Mary across the centuries, of course, has been lavished with veneration. I want to suggest today that Joseph should be right up there with her because he too, simply because of the angel coming, dared to say to God, I second the motion. I am willing to work with you in this mysterious process that you are beginning. He too risked a great deal. And one of the things that I admire about Joseph is that he obviously was willing to deal with this reality with all of his truth faculties, all of the gifts that God had given him. Back in elementary school, I learned, I'm sure you did as well, that we all have five sense gates by which the outside world gets into our consciousness. You remember how the teacher said, you have an eye gate and an ear gate and a nose gate and a mouth gate, and then you have these skin gates. That, that is, you have all of these openings through which reality can flow into your being. However, we also need to remember that in addition to these five, we also have a sixth sense. 
You can call it intuition. You can call it faith. But here we see Joseph in a dream, mind you, something that came to him when he was not fully conscious, not planning or doing research, but something that came to him when he was in a very passive state. He was willing to let God speak to him through intuition, revelation, if you will, as surely he, as he was willing to allow those other five senses to speak to him. And what I want to suggest to you this morning is that we are going to need all of these truth capacities and not just some of them if we are going to make our way through the high winds of change, the, the liminal state um, that we find ourselves in in these days. Someone has said, the only thing worse than using your senses is only using your senses and to leave out your intuition. In other words, we need to realize that the mystery of life can come to us in an abundance of ways. And while we need to use the powers of the daytime, questioning, brainstorming, planning, those ways that we gather data through our senses, we also need to be open, like Joseph, that God works the night shift. That intuition, that hunch, that truth, that can come to us even in the most obscure ways. We need to use all of our senses, not just some of them. Now, don't misunderstand me. I don't want to lose you here. I'm not suggesting um, something that is really far out here. I had a friend who told me once about his favorite uncle, who he described as being wonderfully spontaneous, but also a little impulsive. He said that one day this uncle was riding up in the elevator at work and he overheard a conversation between two strangers. And one of the men said, United Wallpaper is going to skyrocket. The stock is going uh, to become worth much more. It really is a good buy. Well, he got off the elevator, having heard this chance remark, and of course, the wise thing to have done, because he was really intrigued, the wise thing would have been to go and call a broker and say, I want you to research United Wallpaper. I want you to find out who the management is, what is their track record. In other words, to bring his hunch to bear on all of the research that was available to a thinking person. That's not what the uncle did, though. He went straight to the phone, he called his broker, and he ordered 200 shares of United Wallpaper without doing any research at all. Well, two weeks later, United Wallpaper literally fell off the wall. The stock plunged, the company eventually went into bankruptcy, all of his money was lost. You see, it would be foolish to live only by intuition or by the tips perfect strangers. We need to take what we hear in the night and to match it with what we can learn in the light. And yet it would be just as much of a mistake to limit our way of knowing to the five senses and not realize there are times 
when the mystery speaks to us at night. And that is precisely what I admire about Joseph. You see, my guess is that in our passage, where no less than three dreams are specified, that in each case, Joseph took the intuitions of the night and tested them by the light of the day. For example, after Jesus was born, an angel revealed to him that King Herod was paranoid, and therefore he was going to kill all of the infants in Palestine under two years of age. Well, I imagine that when that intuition came to him in the night, the next morning he began to inquire all over town, and he discovered, lo and behold, it was true. An edict had been issued. The Roman soldiers were preparing. And so when those two kinds of truth came together, he was moved to act. When he got down to Egypt after some time, another dream told him that Herod had died. It was now safe to return. And my guess is that, again, he didn't just take that word. He probably began to inquire of, of the caravanners going back and forth. And once again, he discovered it was true. And then when they got back to Bethlehem, lo and behold, Herod's son turned out to be as paranoid as his father. And another dream came, another investigation. And on the basis of that, he settled back in Nazareth. What I'm suggesting is that we have to be open to all the ways that we humans can perceive truth. If you and I are going to live well into the uncertainties of 2021, we have to use all of our senses, these five sense gates, but also this sixth sense, this God-given intuition. Don't ignore the hunches, the intuitions that can come at the most unexpected times. Don't forget that God also works the night shift. Now, the other thing that I admire about Joseph and that I find so relevant today is his willingness to improvise in the face of the unexpected. Now, my hunch is that Joseph had all kinds of plans for the future, just like any prudent person does. There is real truth in the old saying that the failure to plan is just planning to fail. That is, if we don't give any thought to what is coming, then we greet the future absolutely unprepared. But in the face of all of our planning that needs to be done, we also need to reckon with the fact that we live in a world that is still full of surprises. We humans don't begin to see the whole picture as it is unfolding. So the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, we humans know only in part. We see as though in a glass dimly. And therefore, for all of our ability to plan, things happen that we never dreamed would occur. And the ability to improvise in the face of the unexpected is absolutely essential in this kind of world. Joseph had expected to live his whole life with his wife Mary there in Nazareth. But after the angel appeared, things were very different. 
And instead of crumbling under the impact of the unexpected, Jesus, Joseph moves on to plan B, and later plan C and plan D. And you and I need that same kind of flexibility because Lord knows my life has some uncertainty in the coming future, as I suspect your, yours does as well. You'll remember that the seven last words of any person or institution are, we have always done it that way. And that stubborn holding on to our plan, when reality presents us with new challenges and new opportunities, is the way to collide with reality and not come out a winner. So here is Joseph, expecting to live happily ever after in Nazareth. When he realizes that the people in Nazareth cannot be expected to believe Mary's story. And so he very shrewdly decides to take the occasion of the census to escape to Bethlehem. And then, when he realizes there is a threat to Jesus' life, he begins to look around and there is more going on in Egypt than anywhere else. And so he chooses to move there as the best option when plan B has already failed. And when they came back to Bethlehem, under plan C now, and discovered that it still wasn't a safe place, he thought to himself, I've still got contacts back in my old town of Nazareth. And so once again, he improvised. If you and I are going to make it successfully in this new year, an ongoing pandemic, a transfer of leadership in Washington, major transitions here in the church and in our personal lives. This kind of flexibility in the face of the unexpected is going to be absolutely essential. I had a minister friend who lived through a terrible tornado in their small community in Kansas. He said to me later that the only thing that the only things that were able to survive that tornado were the things that had deep roots and flexibility. The things that were deeply connected, but also had enough give in them so that when the winds came, they didn't snap in rigidity. It reminds me of an experience from my own life. Years ago now, when my father was diagnosed with lung cancer, uh, my family went through what were perhaps the most difficult three months that we had together. My father had the good fortune to be ministered to by a wonderful chaplain at Presbyterian Hospital in New York City. And my father was a strong man physically, a former professional athlete. He was used to being in control of his body. But as he struggled to come to grips with this body that was now clearly not in his control, I will never forget the words of that chaplain holding my father's hand and praying that this man who had been an oak would learn to bend like a willow. Now, where does that kind of deep-rootedness come from 
along with this capacity to be flexible and to improvise. I would suggest to you that it comes from the very same one who whispered in Joseph's ear on the night shift and who guided him to plan B and then plan C and D. Read the scriptures. You cannot help but notice the genius of a God who has constantly had to improvise and to find new ways when his chosen people thwarted plan A or plan B or plan C. If God has to be flexible in working out God's plans in history, why should it surprise us when we need to improvise our way through life? And yet for all of this flexibility that God gives to us and calls forth from us, we are also firmly rooted in a love that holds us and that in all the winds of life will never let us go. I remember reading about a young woman who went through a long episode with cancer. When she died, she left behind a grieving husband and a sad little five-year-old girl who were, of course, devastated by their loss. But this father was also rooted in an understanding of God and a love that will not let us go. And therefore, when plan A collapses, there is still plan B and plan C and so, very gradually, he began to look on the other side of that tragedy for how he could pick up and go on. And as a way of beginning again, after all the services were complete and the grief work had begun, he suggested that he and his little girl take a six-day cruise together as a way of beginning this new phase of their life. And so off they went. There were times where they would cry because the sadness was still very fresh. One afternoon, they were sitting on the deck of the ship, and the little girl turned to her father and said, Does God still love us, Daddy? Does God still love us now that Mama is gone? And he realized that he would have to come up with some kind of answer to her question. So he looked deep in his heart, and from somewhere deep inside came the response. Yes, God still loves you, and God still loves us. He said, do you see the horizon out there? God is vaster and greater than that. Do you see the horizon behind us? God reaches back even further than that. Do you see the sky up there? God's love is higher than that. Look down at the ocean. God's love is deeper than that. And with that, a smile came over the little girl's face. She said, and to think, Daddy, we're right in the middle of it. And that's where we are at the beginning of this new year together incredible upheaval and change in and all around us. God only knows what lies ahead. But my friends, there is a length and a height 
and a depth to the love of God that is greater than anything we will ever face. And to think, we're right in the middle of it. Wow. Amen.